0: Yep, it helped me sleep a little bit better. Yep, it seems like I could really function a lot better. Yep, I needed a little more and a little more. And then it took a wife that said, I've had enough of this. And if you don't stop, you know, this is over.
1: Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members make the transition from the military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including such things as nightmares, rage, and isolation. Veterans and family members in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges.
2: Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting Orban Foundation at orbanfoundationforveterans dot Please consider donating at orbanfoundationforveterans dot forward slash donate.
1: The Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Thank you for choosing to make this journey with us. Here is today's segment.
3: Okay, welcome to another edition of Stigma Free Vet Zone. Honored to have you all with us today. We are going to be traveling down to Wauwatosa, Wisconsin to speak with a veteran who is actually here to tell his, share his experience in the military in a podcast earlier in the year. But today, Joe Campbell, who served in, with the Army in Vietnam 1967 and 68 in Artillery and Automotive Mechanics, Uh, Is going to come back and share some really good information, educational information on the military family, not just the veteran in the transition from military to civilian life. So let's go to Wauwatosa and say hi to our great brother, Joe. Welcome, Joe.
0: Well, good morning, Michael. Good morning to my fellow veterans and people that will be listening to this podcast.
3: Yeah, thank you. You know, we spoke yesterday just for a few minutes on designing this this show, uh, specifically for the military veterans family as the primary health care unit. And you really agreed that that this was an important uh, topic to cover. And, of course, we have the experience. You and I think you are, what, 50 years, 52 years out of the military, and I'm about 50 years out. And the idea yeah. is to really go in retrospect what we actually experienced uh, and what we would do if we could go back and do it all over. I know, I know there's a lot of things we could change if we could go back and do it over. But share with us what it was like just real quickly when you actually left to enter the military. Was the family there was a celebration, the, you know, the rattling sabers and the patriotism and the honor? And then, of course, the, the difference in that when you came home.
0: I think uh, you know when I enlisted in the in the army, it was a case of uh, yes, the Vietnam War was was uh, getting a little bit active, but uh, that was uh, not. I just felt I needed to get my volunteer three years as opposed to getting drafted, and I would have a little more uh, control, if you will, uh, to what I would be doing and and uh, how I would be trained. And so when when I left for uh, the service, it was really uh, a very good thing. The family was there. It was not hurrah, hurrah. The Vietnam War was uh, picking up in in activity, but that was in uh, 1966 when I went in. And so uh, it was, you know, relatively stable. Again, there might have been thoughts of going to Vietnam, but that, that was too early. I was just going to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri for... For basic training, and and the family was uh, quite frankly was all behind me, and uh, that was uh, a good day. I wouldn't say joyous, but it
3: was a good day. So, but it, but it pretty much followed your expectations of what would happen. You're leaving for the service. Your family's behind you. They're supportive, but they're part of the activity. They're 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 part of the the day's events and seeing you off. Oh, I tell you what.
0: And, and as I look back, like you said, Michael, from fifty two years ago. I think they look back with uh with a, a high degree of anxiety where I really didn't have that at the time. I just felt this is what I uh I I wanted to do. And uh they were uh, very, very cautiously optimistic as to uh what would happen and, and where it would go in time.
3: And Yeah, that's an excellent point, Joe. Uh Sorry to interrupt, but it it reminds me that something that happened to me, I learned this in Vietnam a long time after, I always knew where I was. I knew what the next steps were. I I was there. Uh, They were always looking at me from their imagination, where they thought I might be, what kind of trouble could happen. So it was always more difficult, as you said, very much anxiety for the family.
0: Oh, a lot more than I was certainly aware of and even paid any attention to. To me, it was really all about me serving our country and getting it, uh, quite frankly, getting it over with the degree of, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that uh, I wouldn't be waiting to be drafted and then ultimately not having any control. So uh, it was all really about me. And uh, thankful to my family for the send-off, but uh, never really given much thought to
3: it afterwards. That's an incredible statement, Joe. I I couldn't have said it better, and I thank you for saying it that way. It was all about you, and you went off. You thought about you. You were the veteran. And we never really, a lot of us never even took into consideration what anxiety the family would be going through. In fact, it, it was a shock to me to find out that there would be any anxiety to them. And I found that out 45 years after I got home.
0: Well, and and you bring up again, this whole point is, again, reflecting back and what would I do to change it is obviously try to be more aware. But at that young age, you know, 18 years old and and, uh, going into, to me, certainty that I'm going to serve our country. But to them, they're looking at it. Will he ever come home? And, uh, of course, you know, I didn't realize how much it had an effect on my mother. My father had passed away. Uh, 1954. So uh, coming eighth out of nine kids, you know, but I will say this, my mother, as I found out, was very, very stressed out and worried about her son uh, going to war, which, of course, I wasn't giving any thought to at that moment
3: in time. Right. Did, did, did she ever mention, and this just came to my mind now, again, keeping in mind, this is the first conversation we've had about military family health care, uh, as opposed to just the veteran health care. Did your mother ever have any concern for cars pulling up in front of the house that you did not recognize?
0: Uh, I would say my mother was, as I looked back and talked to her, she was very concerned and worried about me. And talking to my brothers and sisters and said, Joe, you don't realize how much stress Mom was under while you served. And, of course, that's over a period of time, of course. As I mentioned prior, I went to Germany uh, after that. Uh, uh, AIT training, uh, and then to Vietnam, which, of course, I I shouldn't say, of course, I volunteered for. And then coming back, I know I'm jumping our hair a little bit, but coming back from Vietnam and going back to Germany for my remaining nine months, I did not realize, not only in my mother, but my brothers and sisters and how much, how worried and how stressed out they were when I left for Vietnam, uh, realizing that uh, their brother actually volunteered for this, or my mother, you know, why would you do such a thing? And uh saying, wait a minute, this is what I wanted to do. You know, can't you just leave me alone and understand it? It was a very, and again, we're looking back, Michael, and I, 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 I didn't have a clue as to what my mom had felt, I knew that she was happy to see me. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, uh-uh, no. It, it, I, I really stressed them out immensely. As I'm sure many, many of us uh, that went into the service did without giving thought to our families.
3: Joe, let me, let, let, let me take you back a little bit to leaving Vietnam and coming home. Right. Your expectation... Uh, just before leaving to come home, were you expecting to go back to life uh, at home? And what was that expectation? What did you think it was going to be like when you got home? Would this be all just a celebration? The war was over and you were going back to... I'm not going to lead you on. You tell me what you were expecting.
0: Oh, well, Michael, you know, I, I had nine months left in the service and, and because uh, when I went to Vietnam, of course, I had volunteered from Germany after six months and then... Coming back from Vietnam, I had nine months left, and uh, they sent me right back to the same doggone unit I left in Germany. So my, my uh, uh, coming home type was uh, really uh, a, a very quick flash. I never, again, I'll, I'll tell you, I was so concerned or so excited about getting married to my high school sweetheart and she can go to Germany with me. I never gave thought to any members of my family on one coming back from Vietnam on how ecstatic they were, but I never gave them any time for enjoying it because my mind was I'm going back to Germany and blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you, that's when I look back now and I, I hate saying it, but I was really an ass. And uh, it was all about me, Michael, all about me, and uh, not realizing what it did for them, to them, and because of them. So, you know, again, it took me quite some time to uh, reflect back. And uh, fortunately, I was able to talk to my mother in the later years and have her tell me just how much it had taken out of her life. So... It was quite a,
3: quite a, quite an experience. We're speaking here today with Joe Campbell, a former Vietnam veteran, on the topic of military family health care and what we as veterans coming home from the military experienced and how that affected our families and when we realized it affected our families and were we able to do anything. Uh, and I think for a lot of us who are older veterans, Vietnam veterans, We did not realize what we were getting into, and we did not realize the effects on our family until sometimes decades later when we had been through many divorces, uh, alcoholism, uh, substance abuse, suicidal thinking, isolation, failed jobs. So many things did we think about, and it was constantly or almost always about the veteran. And here, if we stop and thought for a moment, we had these loving people next to us who were suffering just as much to watch us go through it. And Joe has agreed and is doing a wonderful job to come on and share his experience with this. So Joe, if we go back, so now you've come home, you're back in Germany. You want to get married. Who are the, who are the family members that would be close to you and experiencing your coming home besides your mom and, and, uh, your fiance. Well, I'll
0: tell you, it, it, it this triggers, uh, another thing, Michael, my younger brother, two years younger than I was drafted. And, uh, he uh, was going to Vietnam. And now here I am off to Germany and he's off to Vietnam. And holy cow. You know, I mean, as, as again, I look back and it really did my mother and she was so tired and worn out and so worried sick. Uh, even though I came home, uh, I, I wanted to get on with my life. I got married and now they, uh, I had to work and it was all about me. And me, me, me. But I felt in one breath it had to be about me to get myself stable again. And what I did not realize was how much our country was anti, and and I hate saying it this way, but a good majority of our country was anti-Vietnam War and anti. it wound up being anti-Vietnam VET. And boy, if that didn't throw me into a bunker uh, from a standpoint of a place of, I guess, temporary uh, security as the incoming bombs were coming in, uh, I, I don't know what was because that drew me further into myself that is saying I'm not even going to talk about being in Vietnam or war at all, period. I want nothing to do with it and I'm going to try and get as far away from it as I possibly can. And, of course, that drew me even further From my family. And, uh, you know, it it, it caused some some serious problems that uh, led to, uh, as I said in in an earlier podcast, it led to uh, really uh, drinking becoming a very strong. Unfortunate
3: alcoholic. Joe, Joe, let me ask you this: When you go back, you say it was all about you. Uh, it was just everything was about you. But you weren't thinking that intentionally. Do it, 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 you think the experience at war was just so overwhelming emotionally and spiritually and mentally that th- there was no room to be thinking about other people? I mean, this was an intense. It wasn't like your high school team lost a football game. When we came home from war, these experiences were just so overwhelmingly intense. So I wonder at the time, you, were any of us really aware that this was all about us or was it just the, the experience was so intense that it had to be about us and, and we didn't realize until later that somebody else was actually suffering by our own uh, activity when we came home?
0: Well, you know, you bring up a very interesting point from the standpoint. Coming from war and knowing that some of your good friends were killed and you were there when they were killed, And then you come home and you wonder, why don't these people just understand how much we have done, and they have done, they have given everything for our country. And then it's like, wait a minute here, and then they're, hell no, we won't go, and what have you. And then, internally, it's like, let me out of this place. I will not discuss it. I will not wear anything. I will not watch anything. And it became almost totally me. And those that really loved me could not understand this change. And I felt, how in the hell could I even explain to them? It sounds like poor baby. Poor baby, my ass. This is serious stuff. Why are they not serious about this? And, of course, that drew me more and more into myself. Just leave me alone. When you tell people to leave you alone, enough. That's exactly what they do, and that's not what I wanted at all, Michael, not at all. I wanted to reach out to them, but I didn't know how to anymore. I was so deep into myself and my woes that I didn't even want to talk about it, and that's where the problems even got worse because when you don't talk about it, you wound up with it, and by God, you know, And somebody said, the more you get out of yourself, the more you get out of yourself. Well, I wasn't getting out of myself. I was going into myself and that really hurt.
3: Let let me ask you this, Joe, thinking back on it now, 50, excuse me, 52 years ago, do you think you could have explained to him? I, I remember coming home and I didn't understand who I was. I didn't understand what I was thinking. I didn't understand my reactions, much less was I able to explain them to somebody else when I couldn't even explain them to myself. And secondly, when you were re- referring to your interaction with your mom and your, your fiancé, uh, uh, intimately, and I don't mean physically intimate, but emotionally intimate, were you able to have any, any kind of conversations, any fun, any joy outside of uh, the experiences, the, the memories you were having of war? Were you able to get into the same type of conversations or activities that you had with uh, your fiancé when you were in high school or before the war?
0: No, I and, and you bring up another very interesting uh, observation, reflection, is that I take a look at the more I tried to get out of this mess, if you will, in my mind, and all the trauma and, and things that I experienced, and then watching it on the news, which was all the time, and then uh, you know the days of in my childhood when Johnny comes marching home, hurrah, hurrah, and then it comes to, hell no, we won't go, and saying, boy, what a turnaround. I really uh, just went deeper and deeper into myself, and I didn't know how to explain it, Michael. I I didn't know how to, even with my brother, uh, coming back from Vietnam, and and a full-fledged drug addict. You know, I, I could not explain it. Other than I really knew what it was internally, my God! If you lived what I lived, saw what I saw, you'd do what I do. And no, 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 no. They had a completely different perspective, and rightfully so, you know. Uh, but I would not give them that opportunity at that at that moment in time. You know, as I was going through my internal struggle, and it took it took years. Uh, I never wanted to discuss it. And if I did, I would get either so angry, or I would wind up going away, and I get emotionally, and I would just cry and uh, to myself, and very, very stuff. You know, I, I I'm really glad that we're having this conversation today because there is light at the end of the tunnel. Although I did not see that back then, I just wonder how can I shake this, and the more I tried, the worse it got because i felt nobody would understand so why even share your experience strength or hope you know when it's all about me 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 and yet by god it was about me
3: yeah
0: not in the right way but in the wrong way
3: joe let me ask you about this you you mentioned earlier about your uh getting a friendship with alcohol uh take us through that experience with alcohol from the beginning to the time where you realized, uh, as many of us did, that alcohol eventually turns against you. It's your friend at the beginning, but what what did that play? What does alcohol play in all this? And uh, just preface that a little bit by saying you weren't able to explain things, and if we didn't understand them ourselves, do you think we drank? I can't a- a- answer for you. I think I drank because it, 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 at, at the beginning, it relieved some of this. It was a place to hide. It helped me to deal with that it helped to soften uh, the uh, the barbaric thoughts, uh, the you know the uncomfortable thoughts, the unexplainable thoughts, uh, and, and it was uh, it would help me sleep uh, pretty good at the beginning. But what was alcohol? Well, I, what was that relationship with alcohol in your experience?
0: Well, <laughs> virtually everything you just shared, and I'm not laughing because of it. I'm laughing it because that was me. Uh, that was exactly me. I don't like admitting that. But it started out really as a, uh, just to calm me down. I'll just have a little one calm me down. Well, I might have another one. And then, my God, you know, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I think I'll, a little less water on that uh, whiskey. Uh, Forget the water. Forget the ice. Just pour me some whiskey. And then it's like, well, I have to start sneaking this because this is getting to be, how do I go to the liquor store two or three times in a week I gotta go find me another place to buy my stuff a couple places and, and of course not realizing but yet do realizing that you know I've got a problem I cannot operate or function without this damn stuff and saying well just like you mentioned earlier that yeah it took the edge off yep it helped me sleep a little bit better yep it seems like I could really function a lot better and nope, I needed a little more and a little more. And then, uh, then it took destruction. It took a wife that said, I've had enough of this. And if you don't stop, you know, this is over. And I said, like, hell, you don't understand it. You know, blah, blah, blah. You're part of the problem. And everybody's part of the problem except me. And what a terrible thing, because it really was the war within me trying to get out this little guy here that, uh, you know, tried to do some good things and wind up with all this bad results. So I would say that it was uh, quite a journey. And this this took time, Michael. Oh, my Lord, this probably took 20 years. And it really got bad the last three where I just said to hell with it. It's none of your damn business. You drink two if you saw it, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
3: So you were so now right you are actually justifying it. Uh, it. It got to the point that you, you were using it. You're, you start out, uh, just recapping a little bit, Joe, uh, you come home, you start a little bit of drinking, and you're okay with it, but then it gets to be a little bit more excessive. You're concerned about hiding it from the people you're buying it from, hiding it, hiding it from the people you live with, and now it's becoming so severe that people are criticizing you for it. And yet you're still not going to admit the problems there. You're going to admit they're the problem because they're recognizing it or they're challenging you with it. So th- this is so strong. But the one thing that I remember about alcohol was it was getting me away from the the problems that I actually had, the, the reactions I was having to war. But yet the thought of quitting the alcohol meant I'd have to face the problems from war, which I couldn't face before. So you're really in, a, in, in this uh, – in a corner, uh, quitting would mean that the problems that you're trying to escape are gonna be waiting for you, and yet now, alcohol becomes a problem that you can no longer maintain. It, th- this is a, a very dangerous place to be.
0: Probably the most dangerous place because <laughs> you can lie to yourself just so much, and you know it when you're lying, and then you start saying, well, wait a minute, again, you then you go into justification, and boy, did I have the justification and so, like I said earlier, just leave me alone. I have a right to this. You know, if, again, if you saw what I saw, live what I live, you would drink too. That was my justification. And, of course, that was my hiding from the reality. But, again, I really didn't know who to talk to about this anymore. Even a fellow Vietnam vet, I, I didn't even want to discuss it with them because I felt like, oh, you little baby. You know, so, so, you you know, you did this and you did that and you saw this and saw that. Are you the only one that did that? You know, and then I thought, no, I'm not even going there. I'm not even going there. Leave me alone. So that's what led up to it, Michael, to the point where when my wife did say, you know, you keep it up, I'm out. And by God, there they come, the law enforcement with the, uh, with the papers and, even with a uh, restraining order to boot. I thought, boy, do I have a problem. And uh, now I really have a problem and uh, with five children and, and gone astray. So sort- anyway, that, that, uh, that's what started it.
3: Well, it sounds like this has been going up for a long time, but we're, we're visiting with Joe Campbell, a Vietnam veteran, uh, served in Vietnam in artillery and auto um, um, mechanics. Automotive Mechanics, 1967 and 68. Uh, but Joe is kind enough to come on and we're speaking more about the experience that the military family has, our families have, our wives, our husbands, our children, our parents uh, might be experiencing that we just overlooked for whatever reason. And Joe is kind enough to be sharing a very, very educational experience that he had coming home. But Joe, let me add a couple of things before we get on to the five children now Uh, and maybe the effects that it might have had or did not have on them. But we're talking about the drinking. Along this way, were were, were there any experience with nightmares or something that I had that were very, very frightening, and that was anxiety and panic attacks. Um, These were just increased reasons. Now we're adding reasons to continue drinking, Uh, carrying a bottle of uh, vodka or whiskey on the front seat of the car with a little cooler of beer in it, Uh, panic attack. All of a sudden, this whole mental health thing became... Uh, for me, something that I was afraid my brain had been so damaged that it was uh, it was beyond repair. But there was that fear of going insane. And I, I don't know that I've ever been up, including in war, anything more frightening than the thought of losing my mind. Uh, did, did any of these things occur to you or with you in your experience?
0: Well, the thing that, that got me is when I would have these uh, uh, very terrible dreams, uh, very realistic dreams, and almost exactly as things happened type of dreams. I remember I had uh, beat the hell out of my wife in bed at about two or three o'clock in the morning telling this person, not my wife, to give me another rifle because mine is just jammed. And, you know, she had bruises. And then I thought, oh, my God, when I finally came to and realized what was going on. And, you know, uh, throughout life, you know, I say, Joe, you need help. And then, uh, you know, as I stated earlier, no, you need help. But the type of experiences that I would have, as far as nightmares and stuff like that, I think were so. You know, who can I obviously share this with? No one, no one. And uh, thus, uh, they would they would still happen. And the only time that I started becoming free of them was in a uh, sobriety thing that I got involved in uh, back in 97 on a retreat in a Jesuit retreat house where I finally started accepting the fact that, boy, I do have a problem and I need help. And once that started, it was uh, onward to the journey. But you were reflecting back on a couple other things, Michael.
3: Well, 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 there were certainly the, the sleep, but uh, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and, and I'm not planting seeds. If they weren't there, they weren't there. But let, let's, let's stay with one thing that you mentioned earlier. You had even gone to someone who had shared a similar experience, a Vietnam veteran, but you weren't going to, in your words, appear as a whiner. So let's go back to the topic uh, or, or the, the name of our program, your podcast, is Stigma-Free Vet Zone. What was the influence on stigmas? for you to either understand what you were going through or to have the confidence to go and get help? What part did stigmas play in saying, no, I'm a soldier, I have. To, I can't let anybody know I've got these weaknesses, I can't let anybody know I have not uh, with, uh, held my obligations as a soldier, as a man? What was the power of stigma then, and what do you think of stigmas today?
0: Well, I think the, the, the thing was... You know, two years into, you know, coming back to five years, coming back to 10 years, coming back. You know, I'm referring coming back from Vietnam and saying, you know, the further I got away from it, the more I felt I can't even talk about it. You know, can't you just get over it, you know, and say get over it in my mind internally. It's over the, my ass. You know, if you lived what I lived and saw what I saw, you'd have a problem, too but I couldn't bring that out. And I felt the stigma that you might be alluding to is the fact that the further I got away, the worse it got because how could I dare bring up this problem 20 years or 25 years after the fact? Well, I'll tell you that means that I really never got over it and I never discussed it. And that is what of course led to the demise of the marriage and, uh, you know, as far as also, as I mentioned, five children, uh, that they were very, very much fractured because when I didn't drink or when I <laughs> when I drank, really, I had the residual effect all the time. But when I uh, drank a little bit less, I was a pretty fun guy. And uh, so they had this part of me, but they also had the anger and the, uh, the danger part of me.
3: Are you able to go back and speak with your, with your children now or your, your wife, your ex-wife, on these uh, experiences that you had with them then? And how, do, how does their recollection of this affect you now today?
0: Very bad. I mean, the recollection, quite frankly, is saying, God, I got help. Uh, but boy, oh boy, the anger and the resentment that I caused and the fractioning of elements within the children's relationship not only towards me but towards one another because some might say, well you don't understand dad and the other wouldn't say, Yeah, I fully totally understand Dad. He's an ass. And uh always was, always will be. And uh, you know, so when when I look at the the uh the effects on family, uh, they were absolutely destructive. Uh I couldn't I, look at the the veteran side of me and and the service side of me i don't think my children ever even wanted to hear the word vietnam and uh you know so there's a case where i take a look at you know looking for for some understanding and and saying well i wasn't even capable of explaining how those years changed of course down the road but uh know, the critical years which is their youth uh, into teenage to the 20s. Uh, very, very challenging. Very challenging. Yeah.
3: Challenging in what way, Joe? Uh, were, were there-
0: from a standpoint of love-hate. You know, I mean, they loved me as their father, and they knew that I would try and do this, and do that, almost do anything for them. But at the same time, I'd turn on them in a dime. And, and just from a standpoint, you know, you kids don't appreciate a goddamn thing you know, blah, 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 you know, and I'll show you, and no, you're not going here, and no, you're not getting that. And there was that side of me that, you know, holy cow, where did that come from? Where did this old anger, well, it came from a standpoint, I'm not blaming it all on the war, Michael, but I'd say that it had that probably had an 85% impact on my attitude and uh, my, uh, if you want to call my leadership, which was uh, very, very uh, frightening, uh, but I would say that that's where uh, as, as I look back and as I talk to them today, you know openly, and I think I, have, uh, I think we've been able to put the uh, terrible side away, but to actually look at the love and the understanding and the compassion that goes with it all the way around me to them and them to
1: me.
3: Joe, there's one thing that I want to know or I would like to ask you, and that is to know if you were aware of the atmosphere that you had in your home as you were um, uh, getting married and raising children. Were you aware of the safety, emotional safety of the home or the the emotional trust that uh, the family had to come home and be happy there, be comfortable there? Was there an air, a spiritual and i don't mean religious but spiritual heir to the house of comfort and love and joy uh, that you were aware of
0: Well, oh, you bring up an interesting point I think is the uh the uh, the uh, oldest you know when he became like seventeen eighteen, and the youngest was probably ten uh to, to eight is that as i I reflect back, there was almost a joy. When they got out of the house away from me and my image and uh, my rigidity and uh, uh, my probably most of all my anger, which I found very, very hard to even deal with myself. But, you know, I would yell and this and that and then and, and there'd be a sense of calming, if you will. And then I'd wonder, why did I do that? You know why can't I just accept it? They didn't do what I asked him to do, and then I go off like a damn gorilla. You know, not their father, not out of love and respect. These were the type of things, Michael. That uh, I think were—I hate to say it—but the, these were the effects of uh, really the not being able to be me anymore, and not to be able being able to even share my insecurity with what I had experienced. I, I, and again, I'm, I'm not blaming anyone for it, but I do believe today is that there are a lot more opportunities. And one, we, Vietnam Vets, I feel are tremendous uh, help and, and uh, uh, respected by the service vendors that served in Iraq, Afghanistan, et cetera, because we do care where we, when we came home, I hate putting it this way, but we were not respected by the World War II, and uh, uh that's at all. And uh, that was, uh, again, uh, another bridge that we uh, really could not cross. I could not cross at that time. I couldn't understand why. So, I mean, there was a number of elements that, that led up to that. Yeah.
3: Okay, we are speaking with uh, Joe Campbell, a former Vietnam veteran. Well, he's a Vietnam veteran, but a former Army veteran uh, who served in Vietnam 1967 and 68. And Joe's going through some of the experiences not related necessarily or directly to Joe as a veteran, but to his family, to the military family and in their experience in readjusting from military to civilian life. So, Joe, we we go through all of these. It's been 52 years now. You've had a lot of experience in reflecting on how you came home, what the the power of the stigma. I do want to ask you one more time uh, to just finish up on what's the value of the stigmas? Are they real? Or is it just something that we assume is real because we don't want to uh, disappoint other people? I, I want to get these stigmas seem to be so powerful that they will actually allow us to destroy our lives rather than to seek help. And I wonder who's creating these stigmas and why do we believe in them? And what is really the value of the stigmas that you experience? Just, just take a couple minutes on that. And then we'll, we'll go on to a, a popular question of if you could do it over, uh, how would you do it today?
0: Well, you know, when you bring up stigma, you know, grow up young man, you know, grow up and, uh, let's get serious on life here. And, uh, you know, and I just take a look at the the way that we were raised, and of course coming up in a family where the father is deceased, was a little bit more challenging I'd say than those that had a father, good, bad, or indifferent. But the fact of the matter is we were pretty much on our own. We were raised by our own next to kin. And uh, the stigma I think really boiled down to is that if it's to be, it's up to me. And uh, that is what uh, it really created so many of the problems, quite frankly. You know, if it's to be, it's up to me, that could be a very good thing, but it also could be a very terrible thing. And saying, why was it always up to me? Wait a minute, I wasn't even old enough and mature enough to understand. And uh, yet, here I am. And by God, I've seen things that most people will never see in their lifetime. And so how do I ever explain those type of things? So, you know, being the stigma was really not being able to communicate uh, effectively, not even wanting to communicate after a while because I felt nobody would really care. And or it was a poor baby type thing, you know, get over it. And uh, that was the hard part, Michael, really is get over it. Get over what? If, again, that's something that. Being able to help others today is by being able to realize, get over it. Don't You don't get over it. You learn to accept it as hard as it may be, but accept it to understand so that you can not only live your good life, but also will help others live a life uh, that is very good for them also. I hope that answers it to some extent. I'm not trying to skirt the issue. I,
3: I don't think you have to. I think it's beautifully stated. I, I think that's very... Very powerful when we understand that that's saying, "Get over it this is the stigma. The stigma comes in many different fashions, many different phrases, many different sentences, but it all boils down to this whole idea of you are a soldier, this is your responsibility. Just don't show any weakness don't show that you've had any problem upholding this tradition, this expectation of you being a man being a soldier when in actuality. The stigma has to be made up uh, by people who haven't been there. Uh, and I think uh, the question I would like to ask you quick, Joe, is the experiences you had in Vietnam, the experiences I had in Vietnam. would you really expect to come home and not feel the way you did? I mean, I, what if you what if you went through what you did in Vietnam or I or many of the veterans in whatever war you were, whatever trauma you suffered in the military? and came home and said, you know, that was a lot of fun. I want to go back and do that again. I want to go kill some more people. That, that, let's go dump some, some artillery. Let's bring in, the, bring in the napalm. That was great. I mean, that would be a mentally ill person. But, uh, I mean, to come home, I can't imagine not being affected by what I saw as an infantry soldier um, and having come home and just said, you know, I want to go see a baseball game. I want to go have some fun. Uh, you know, I can't imagine not being affected by it. And I think that's even a bigger stigma to to have an expectation that you wouldn't be affected by this. You breed up,
0: and I'm only chuckling because you really hit the nail on the head. Yes, it did. You know, those were things that I'd love to be able to say, which would have been a total lie. But The fact of the matter is, coming back to Vietnam, I was really not a good liar. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't good at at, uh, at sharing either. You know, it's just a case to get on with life and move on, and like it never happened. <laughs> and not only, you know, and little by little, I. If if I take a look at what I just shared with you and say, you know what, Mike, the only two things that didn't bother me, the two things that bothered me, I should say. Were the first month that didn't service in Vietnam and the last month. And, you know, in the 10 in between, I didn't give a crap. Well, it turned <laughs> out the 10 in between is what did me in. Yes. The first was very explainable because the uncertainty. And the last, of course, was extremely explainable because of the knowns. What can and has happened. And the 10 in between, I thought, well, who cares? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. It was those 10 in between that did me in that I didn't know how to talk about. I didn't know how to share. And my answer really honestly, although that's how warped my mind was, but honestly was that I, I, I said I didn't care, but by God, did I ever. And, of course, that came out over time. so.
3: No, this is uh, beautiful. And and now we're being honest, I think, uh, in these conversations when we talk about how we actually felt. But let's go back now. And you want to if we were to go back and talk about what we've experienced and go back and do it all over. uh, One of the things that's always stood out in my mind is we come home, we've got the issues that we're the the reactions we're having, but don't know how to resolve them. So we take on drinking, we take on drug abuse or uh, substance abuse, uh, we go through the divorce, we get estranged from our children, we lose our jobs, we become workaholics, we've got all of these things piling up as health care issues. Uh, by the time we go in to get help, as you mentioned, 20 years later, three, 30 years later, before you even get to the original issues that you want to some education on how to resolve, first you've got to resolve the issues of the alcohol or the substance abuse. Then you've got to re- resolve the, the depression, and there's severe depression that goes through these years battling this stuff mentally uh, and emotionally. So now you've got to so- solve the, the, or get help for the depression then you've got to resolve the failed marriage, then you've got to resolve the issues with children, then you've got to figure out what do you want to do with your life now that you're 50 or 60 years old. So you have all of these things before you even get to the original issues of your reactions to war when you were 20 years old. There would seem to be a little bit of logic in saying, why not skip all of the the self-abuse and punishment and mistakes and errors and uh, you know the hell with the the stigmas. Once you get out of the service and you finish your your obligation to the military, I don't believe you have any obligation to any American to explain to them what you're doing. Uh, you did that and you took the oath, but when the oath is all over, now it's your own turn to take control of yourself, take the responsibility. Go out and find the answers for what what, uh, the reactions you're having are. But to do it much more quickly before you cause all of this additional damage to yourself and your families and to life and to the human spirit and to the country. uh, What do you think about that, Joe?
0: Well, you know, as I I reflect, Michael, I think probably the biggest uh, challenge, uh, which I don't know how could have ever changed at that moment in time, though, was the way we were received home. And that is what really, I think, started this in, in, inward anger and not being able to talk. And And I'll share this with you. I came back on uh, February 8th of 68, right after the, uh, during the Tet offense. And I, I uh, wanted to get married and finally uh, connected with uh, my uh, fiance and her father, and he's watching the evening news, which is probably around February 9th, and, uh, they were showing, uh, the, uh, the battle at Quezon and they were showing, uh, other things, uh, of the war, and I took a look at that on TV, and I thought, holy cow, uh, this is pathetic, you know, and, uh, and I guess the thing is, is you know, when you're over there, you don't know what's going on in one part of the country as opposed to another. You know what's going on in your area, and that's really about it. Well, then I'm watching this on TV, and I'm thinking, and then I listen to Walter Cronkite, you know, saying that the war is basically, it's over, you know, and I, holy cow. And I think, I don't ever want to hear this again. Now, the reason I expound on, on this issue Is because I believe that's where a lot of my anger and because of my expectations. And we started this thing out going into the service. What was your expectations, your families, and rah, rah, rah. And then you come home and wait a minute. Boy, there isn't one expectation. Everyone has been shattered and nobody... nobody wants me the only one that even cares about me is my immediate family and of course I'm getting closer and closer to that bunker and I don't want to watch another minute of news and then oh boy that to me is when the 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 wall started going up and saying you know what I can't even talk about this anymore because I don't want to be treated as poor me I don't know what that says to you, but that to me was the start of something that I do not believe when the World War II brothers and sisters came home or the Korean War, which is basically forgotten. But, you know, when Johnny comes marching home again, hurrah, hurrah, uh uh-uh, they're throwing crap at us and calling us all kinds of names. Yeah, I I agree, Joe.
3: But earlier, you mentioned that after 20 years, you went back and finally got help for the drinking. Um, when right. you first came home and you you went into the bunker, start building these emotional walls around yourself, isolating from the rest right. of the world and not facing it, trying to bury the issues, uh, burying the experiences. Uh, now, 20 years later, you go and you get help. Would that help right. after 20 years have helped you immediately after coming home if you had sought it? And if you had an awareness of what the effect was on your wife and on your children, would you have done something differently at that time to reassure them somehow that they couldn't help, but you would get help somewhere?
0: I would say that's completely right. You know, had had we come back, I come back and there's been this crap going on, but we got the, the, uh, the VA or one of our veteran service organizations saying, you know, and even the military giving us some kind of a uh, explanation before discharge as opposed to here's your plane ticket, you're, you're home and it's over. You know, these type of things that happen so quick. But had we had any type of assistance uh, to help share and communicate some of our inner struggles? by someone that was there or anyone that was there to provide at least that type of understanding and saying, look, you know, we all need help. We're all going to work together on this. We have a, a, a unit. That's what happened when I wound up with a PTSD group where I finally gave in. I mean, I needed help. And another Vietnam vet says, I know where you can get it. And I thought, wow, that is fantastic. I didn't think initially at first, but, uh, you know, after getting into one little group and hearing people share, and I realized, guess what, Michael, I was no longer alone. And that, I think, is what did me in, is I felt alone all these years, not being able to share my experience and my anger or whatever. I did share the anger by destroying people, and that wasn't good.
3: Uh, you, you'll go back and mention two things, Joe, that I, I picked up in the last two sentences, or a few sentences that you shared, which are very, very important. And that, that seemed like the toughest step. And I, I'm speaking from my experience as well, but you're identifying it. You said you finally gave in to you needed help. It's that that is like the, the big step, the huge step. Now, it's not actually taking the step, but the, re, the realization I can't do this on my own. I need help. And that's what you just you mentioned. You said you finally gave in to that you needed help. And the second thing you mentioned was the trust, trusting and finding out that other people have had similar experiences. One of the biggest issues that I had when I came home, uh, my dad was a World War II veteran. My brother's older brother's a paratrooper, eighty second Airborne. You know, he's all the way, yes sir, everything polished boots and all that sort of thing. Um, I was never going to admit that I had had any kind of issues. Uh, with my readjustment, But that trust and that ability to say that I'm not alone. Others feel this way. And I couldn't believe how many other people had felt the same way that I did. And here I walked around for over 30 years thinking none of the guys that I served with had this reaction. I'm the only one. And it is that profound isolation that caused me more trouble than anything else, that there's something wrong with me because I have it and nobody else did. And I went on to find that almost my entire company in Vietnam had extraordinary levels of of what they call trauma from war. yeah. So those those well, Michael, two things, admitting it, and then going to get the help and the trust and believing that you can do it.
0: I think you've said it better than I could have ever said it. And and that's exactly what had to happen. Unfortunately, in this case here, it took so many years to do it. Like you said, 20, 30 years. But the fact of the matter is, I was still here long enough <laughs> to be able to reach that particular point point to say, I've had it, I do need help. And by God, once I admitted it, like you had just shared, all of a sudden that pathway to some form of freedom, to some form of, uh, of uh, oh, acceptance, if you will, uh, and, and reality. In other words, I'm not denying what was going on. I'm actually accepting it, not liking it. But knowing that I had a change and this road that I was going on was a hell of a lot better than the one I was on.
3: So, so at this point, very beginning of this, uh, our conversation here, Joe, you mentioned that you did not even think about light at the end of the tunnel. Is there any joy in actually now seeing that, yes, there is light at the end of the tunnel?
0: Well, not only that, Michael, there is not only uh, <laughs> I'm out of the tunnel. I'm not looking for light. I'm in the light. And the fact of the matter is my experience, my strength and my hope of coming out of that blasted uh, tunnel and seeing a light has allowed me to engage myself over the last 20 years to working with veterans, fellow veterans and Iraqi Afghanistan and and, uh, our current veterans pertinent to the traumas and what have you that they're dealing with, being able to listen to them being able to share with them, and being able to provide some hope. And that's what I hope that these type of podcasts do, is let people know there is hope out there. And you are dealing with a, a former son of a bitch who had a severe alcohol problem, a divorce problem, and all these other problems. But those are became my teachers. My teachers is what I just said. And I have been a good student to learn from those terrible, terrible experiences, and say, guess what? I can really provide a, 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 a understanding and help to those that uh, that are looking for it, and even those that may not even be looking for it. Like I was looking in all the wrong places when I first got off, but not anymore.
3: Joe Campbell, this has been, as always, an incredibly educational experience, but a wonderful experience with a veteran and a brother who I love dearly. And I think it would be fair to wrap up this conversation, maybe in one minute what you would do differently, but I would add this. I think it's very important for any veteran or any military family who's out there struggling to understand, they're listening in this podcast to veterans uh, who have been there, who have been uh, uh, had issues with alcohol, the isolation, the rage, the uh, the depression, but also with the thoughts of suicide uh, that have been very, very strong for some of us, and that there are answers, there are hope, and we are here to assure you that. Uh, get in touch with our podcast, get in touch with our website, get in touch with our Facebook page. There are many, many, many of us uh, who have experienced these reactions, who are here to tell you there is hope. Uh, and I think it's more important not to worry what the world thinks of you, but maybe set a goal of being happy by yourself in a room uh, when no one else is around. And that's a goal that's achievable. And, and you're certainly here, Joe, to to uh, reassure us of that and to prove that that is the point. So- Take one minute quickly and tell us what would you do differently?
0: Michael, I would say the thing is I am where I am today because of those experiences, good, bad, and indifferent. But the fact of the matter is, had I had a Joe Campbell or a Mike Orban or a a Bob in my life way back, I would say the outcome certainly would have been different. However, I didn't have that. But I do today. And as a result of it, I'm living a good life. And I am living a life for our brothers and sisters that gave the ultimate of their life for me, for you, for us. And the least I can do is do my best to live a good life and show my gratitude towards them. I thank you and I thank the listeners That I hope that what little bit I've tried to share of my experience, strength and hope, at least has some impact. I'm praying for you. I love you. And welcome home. Thank you, Michael.
3: Thank you, Joe. And thanks for all you're doing for the human spirit.
0: You're welcome, brother. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, Orban OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org.
2: Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, resolution, and togetherness on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Please consider donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. As a thank you, you'll receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Receive your free copy by donating at org forward slash donate.
1: On behalf of Michael Orban, this is Bob Bach. Thanks for joining us and please tune in again.